Happy birthday, New Life Church! Yeah! Woo! 43 years, guys. That means 43 years of God's faithfulness. This is really his story. 43 years of worship, 43 years of lives changed, 43 years of impacting our community. What God has done in this community for the last 43 years is incredible. And I hear from people in our country, from friends in ministry all the time. This is like a little gem in our country. And we just are so grateful to be part of it. What a privilege to be here. And this is really your celebration because you're the church, right? The church is not brick and mortar. It's human beings. And so look at someone and say, happy birthday to you. In fact, what I want to do today is I want to kick off a short series on church. And I'll call the series, Why Church? Because I think sometimes we're so in it, we forget why we're even part of it. Like, what is church supposed to be? What is church supposed to accomplish? Like, what are we supposed to expect from a community of believers? How is it meant to function? We're going to go back to the basics and look at why church even exists. You know, there's a story told of a uh, cruise ship that went past an island. And as they were driving past this little island, they noticed three little huts on this abandoned island. And so they thought there must be a survivor there. There must be people there on the island. So the cruise ship, they, they, they docked, they anchored, they sent some boats to the island. And guess what they found with the three little huts? There was one survivor. And so the captain goes to the survivor and says, hey, we're so glad the survivor's like, oh my word, I can't believe you guys found me. I'm so grateful. And the captain like, well, who else is with you? Because I see three huts there on the beach. And the survivor says, no, no, no. You see that, that one hut over there, that's my house. And that other hut there, that's my church. And the captain says, well, what's that third hut? He goes, well, that's the church I used to attend. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is every church in the world is someone's third hut. Every church is someone's church that they decided to leave. Every church is someone's church that they decided they don't want anything to do with this community anymore, or maybe their life circumstances had changed, they had to move to different towns, but every church in the world is someone's Third hut, and the reason is there is just a lot, if you look at people and Christians, there's a lot of hurt in the church. There's a lot of complication with church. There's a lot, unfortunately, of politics in church. And you know why all those things exist? Because we're in church. And last time I checked, none of us are perfect. And if church consists of imperfect people, it has no chance of being perfect. In fact, I found this um, little poem online. I love this poem. It's by a guy called Mavis Williams. I'm going to read it to you. If you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, don't join that church. You'll spoil the atmosphere. If you should find the perfect church where all anxieties cease, then pass it by, lest joining it you mar the masterpiece. If you should find the perfect church, then don't you even dare to tread upon such holy ground because you'll be a misfit there. But since no perfect church exists made of imperfect men, 
then they'd cease looking for that church and rather love the one we're in. Of course, no church is perfect. That's simple to discern. But you and I and all of us could cause the tide to turn. So let's keep working on our church until the resurrection, and then we will each join that church without any imperfection. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. So good. Guys, I think even sometimes we romanticize the early church. You know, we talk about the early church, the first church, with such awe and wonder, and, and with reason. There was a lot of fantastic things that happened in the early church. But I think sometimes we picture the early church being a perfect church without any faults and without any flaws. And we forget that we really wouldn't even have the New Testament. We wouldn't have the New Testament if it was a perfect church because so much of the New Testament is letters to the churches trying to bring correction, rebuking them, course correcting them, teaching them again. In fact, do you know that if you read the New Testament, that the New Testament church, the early church, is corrected or rebuked over 150 times? Right? And it's not hard to find when you read through those letters from the apostles to the churches. Not even the early church or the first church was perfect. It's always been filled with people, and people are not perfect. And all this imperfection has caused a lot of people to give up on church, to turn their back on it, to say, hey, you know what, like, that's not for me. In fact, in our country, if you look at the stats that I found online this week, we have 45 million South Africans here in our country, 45 million. Now, according to the surveys that have been done, 36 million of South Africans identify as Christian. 36 million of the 45 million. That is a huge, it's almost 80% of our country identifies as Christian. But then you look at how many are actually affiliated with the church. It's only half of that. And then you start looking at how many people actually attend the church that they're affiliated with. And the percentages get tiny. Out of the 80% of our country, out of the 36 million people who have some affiliation to Jesus Christ, only a small percentage actually find themselves in seats like you're finding yourself in today. And we've got to ask the question like, why is that? Why has it gone so wrong? And we know it's wrong because there's no record of unchurched Christians in the Bible. There is no such thing in Scripture. In fact, we're going to see today that the work of building the church is, in fact, God's work. Look at someone and say, it's God's work. So why is it that we find so many Christians unchurched, disengaged with church, offended by church? And maybe it's because of some of the horror stories we hear. Listen, I've heard, I've heard the horror stories. I've lived some of those horror stories. Uh, I've lost count of the amount of times I've been hurt by church and by Christians. Maybe you've been hurt by church and Christians. If you haven't been hurt by church or Christians, it just means you haven't been around long enough. Because it's coming. It's coming. Look at someone and say, it's coming. So to all of you unoffended, enjoy the season you're in. Because it ain't going to last long. It's not going to last long. And the picture we have of this amazing church that just does good things. Yeah. One day that, that picture is going to get challenged. I guarantee it. And if it hasn't been challenged yet, 
you just haven't been here long enough. And so maybe you've lived some of those horror stories. Maybe you've been offended by church staff. You've had run-in with some arrogant leadership. Maybe you've discovered some immorality or some corruption taking place. Maybe you've seen some signs of abuse. Maybe you have been privy to some church politics. Maybe you've walked away saying, I want nothing to do, not just with church, but with Christians. They're terrible. They're awful people. Perhaps you've lived some of the horror stories. And can I say, sometimes people are offended with church, not because the church did anything wrong, but simply because they are confronted by the truth of God's word and God's word has actually offended them. And they're actually just unrepentant and they're unwilling to change and they blame the church and they point fingers at the church for preaching the truth because the truth can sometimes offend. So sometimes even these offenses and hurts are at no fault of the church, but people have walked away and the image that Christians themselves often have towards church is, is negative and bad. We've got to ask why, because I've also seen the good and I've lived through the good of church and I've seen the power of a good godly community. And I want to tell you guys with all the conviction in my heart, I promise you the good is worth fighting for. The good, when we see church function well, it literally changes lives. I think I'm addicted to seeing that. I'm addicted to life change. To see someone whose eternity is headed for hell, and now they're headed for heaven. To see someone who is so lost and depressed and confused about their purpose and about life, find Jesus and find meaning and healing and purpose when they, have, when they were lost and now they're found when they were living in darkness and now they're living in the marvelous light of God's grace, there is nothing. It's, I still get choked up. I still cry when I see people giving their hearts to the Lord because I think that is the greatest miracle. Hear me out. That's the greatest miracle. If you've seen someone get saved, you have witnessed the greatest miracle. And yes, there are other miracles that maybe can seem a bit more showy and impressive, right? Seeing someone raised from the dead or seeing someone who was blind, now see. Those are great, but at the end of the day, guys, if a blind man sees but doesn't have the transformation of being saved, it, it just means that now he can see the hell he's in. And what good is that? Really, the only miracle that really matters is a life changed, a soul saved. And seeing those miracles, seeing people get saved, seeing people find Jesus Christ, understanding that they're loved by him, willing to give their lives to him. It is the greatest miracle. I, I can't get enough of seeing that. I think that's what's kept me in ministry for so long, just seeing that. And I want to tell you when it works, when God's kingdom is growing, when people are being saved, it is the most beautiful thing. And church is worth fighting for. God's design of church is worth believing in. It's worth giving our lives to. In fact, today I want to have a look at a section in Scripture where we see a church have radical growth. In fact, it happens on Pentecost Sunday. We're going to find this story in Acts 2. And I want, to I want us to just stop and look at Acts 2 and see how does God do it? How does God's work work? How does God build His kingdom? In fact, on this one day, we see the Holy Spirit poured out and the church goes from 120 members 
to 3,120 members in one day. That is revival. That church experienced a growth on one day of 2,500%, right? I mean, it went from a church of 120, which is the average size of a church, to three over 3,000 members. And then it says the Lord added daily, which means the very first spiritual church in the world was a mega church. And I find it interesting because mega churches seem to get a lot of hate from Christians, right? And yet the very first spiritual church in the Bible was one. And then it tells us in Acts 2 that all these Christians met in the temple together daily. In fact, they all met together. The thousands of them came together. And then they also met in each other's homes. So there was community in this large group of people. And we're going to see today exactly how God does this work. So let's just go and read it together. Join me in Acts chapter 2. If you have the New Life Church app, the notes are loaded there. If you have a Bible app or a physical Bible, join me in Acts 2 from verse 40. It says, Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves. Everyone say all. All of them, they were, this is just what you did as a believer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to getting together, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many signs and wonders. And all the believers, everyone say all. They met together in how many places? One place, one large church, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple, all of them, each day. And they met in home for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, every day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We're going to see here exactly how God does his work. And here's the first point. God's work is divine. Look at someone and say, it's divine. What I mean by that is God's work is supernatural. It's godly. It's his work. That's why we call it God's work. It's his work. It's a divine thing. I don't know if you saw there in Acts 2.47, it says that the Lord added daily. Who added? Who does he adding? The Lord, salvation, evangelism, church growth. These things come from the Lord. It is the Lord who adds. When Jesus is having an interaction with, with Peter in Matthew 16, he says, now I say that you are Peter in Matthew 16.18, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Who's going to build the church, church? Jesus. He's going to build the church, and who does it belong to? Him. You know, a lot of us, we're like, this is my church, my church. Yes, I'm, I'm glad we say that because you want a sense of belonging, but actually every true church is Jesus' church. Every church belongs to Jesus, and he is the one who builds it. And so when you see churches growing, you know that the one who's adding, the one who is doing the growing, the one who is doing the multiplication, it is Jesus. He builds his church. The work 
of church is divine. But it's not only divine. It's not only about the work of God. God's work is a divine partnership. Look at someone and say, it's a partnership. I don't know why, but God has always, always used people. And if I was God, I would not have done that. Because, come on, people are weird and difficult and grumpy and complicated and unreliable and unfair. Like, people, like, why? Why, out of all the things in creation that God could use, could he not have chosen something more reliable and consistent and, like, holy? No, he uses people. God has always used people in his wisdom somehow. This is the best way to grow his kingdom. And God's divine wisdom, he's decided the best way to grow the kingdom is with people, human beings, which means when God wants to grow his kingdom here on earth, he's going to use you. He's looking for a partnership. Look at someone and say, he wants to use you. Church, this is true evangelism. Evangelism is when God's divine power intersects with human effort. That's evangelism. God's divine power intersects with human effort. If there is no human effort, God's divine power does not grow the kingdom alone. It requires human beings to put in effort to come with the power and anointing of God. Here at this intersection, at the meeting of God's power and my human effort, here's where life transformation happens. And that's what God wants in the church. He wants us to be a place of life transformation. But it's not just up to him and his divine work. It's up to a divine partnership. Us joining arms with God saying, God, we are committed to building your kingdom together. We're not just sitting back and saying, well, God, build your church. God, I want to sit back and I'm just going to watch you do your thing. No, no, no. God does not work like that. He uses people. He uses you which means if you are in God's kingdom already, if you're a Christian, God wants to use you to build his kingdom. Without a doubt, no exception. Everyone in this room, everyone listening, God wants to use you to build his kingdom. There is a divine partnership that you have been invited to. We see here, even on the day of Pentecost, even when the Holy Spirit's power is poured out, God requires human effort because there are human beings preaching here. Look in Acts 2 from verse 38. Peter replied, who replied? Peter, he's preaching. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. In verse 40 of Acts 2, it says, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Right? God was using human beings to be a vessel of his message and power, and he's never stopped doing it. This is how God builds his kingdom. It's a divine partnership. In fact, in the Bible, we find three different forms of evangelism. The first is personal evangelism. Everyone say personal evangelism. This is when you use your personal sphere to share the message of Jesus with whoever's coming across your path. This is when you're sharing your story of God's activity in your life. 
You're sharing your story of how God has changed you, of how he's spoken to you or impacted you or healed you. You're sharing it with the lady at spa and you're sharing it with your doctor and you're sharing it with the person you're sharing a classroom with. You're sharing it with the person who you're sharing an office with. It's this personal testimony of, hey, I want to tell you some good news of what's happened to me. I want to tell you the good news of what Jesus has done for me. I want to just share my story with you. Personal evangelism, we see this happening in Scripture. Think about Jesus with the woman at the well. One-on-one, personal evangelism. Jesus went out of his way to meet that woman at the well. You think about Philip with eunuch. Again, when he's speaking to those in the Ethiopian church, one-on-one evangelism, just sharing his story and his experience. Second form of evangelism we see in Scripture is mass evangelism. Everyone say mass evangelism. It's similar to what I'm doing right now, which is the speaking to the crowds, the sharing God's message with many. It's what Peter was doing on Pentecost Sunday that we just read in Acts 2. We know Jesus did this often. Jesus would speak to the crowds. He spoke to this crowd at Galilee and said, whoever's weary and heavy laden, come to me. He gave that invitation to a crowd. We see the apostles speaking to crowds. Paul spoke to the crowd in Lystra. And in, in, uh, we see again in Acts chapter 14, and again he's speaking to the crowds in Athens, and then he speaks to the crowd in Ephesus. And we know that Colosseum could seat about 25,000 people. Mass evangelism. Not only is there personal evangelism and mass evangelism in Scripture, we also see a third category, church evangelism. Everyone say church evangelism. This is a willingness for you to invite people to a local church because we know churches scripturally are places firstly for believers to be edified for them to receive the word for them to worship together but it's also a place for us to witness to grow God's kingdom that's why we do altar calls here at church that's why we give people an invitation the idea is that as we worship there should be in us a desire to witness And from our witnessing, we bring in people to worship, and then they have a desire to witness. And then they come in and worship, and there's a cycle that goes on. As we worship God, He puts in us a desire to witness. We bring in others, and they worship. Church evangelism. And you might think, well, how do I fit into that? The answer is simple it's just by an invitation. By an invitation. I love this about New Life Church. I think it's one of the reasons we've been standing for 43 years is because New Life, you guys are great inviters, right? Look at someone and just give them a high five. Come on, you. You're well done. Great inviters. We have a reputation for doing this, and I love it. You'll say, hey, you got to come to the church. And they'll be like, no, that's not for me. No, you really got to come. It's different. No, I, I don't do this organized religion thing. No, 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 you got to come. It's different. No, I... I don't like those kind of communities. No, you got to come. Like, no, I really don't do it. No, you got to come. Listen, I don't do it. No, you got to come. Okay, I'll come just to get you to stop inviting me. And then often they come and they're like, oh, it is different, right? And they have an experience with God. You know, Jesus actually tells a parable where he's throwing a feast and he sends out his servants to go and fill the space, to fill the house. And the servants go and they invite people and everyone starts rejecting the invitation. 
The one man says, no, sorry, I've just bought some oxen. I haven't tested them yet. Another says, oh, I've just bought some land. I need to plow some things. Another says, no, I've just got married. I don't have time for that. So Jesus says, okay, now I want you to do this. I want you to go into the alleyways and the highways. I want you to go and look for the poor, the forgotten, the lame, the sick, the rejected. And then he says, I want you to compel them. Everyone say, compel them to come. And church, sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to compel people to come with our invitation. I'm going to compel you. I'm going to bug you. And I'm going to keep bugging you. Why? Because I'm going to compel you to come. It's a form of evangelism in scripture. It's one of the reasons we've resourced people with cards like this. We make it so easy, guys. These are the information desks, by the way, for those who didn't know. You don't even have to say anything now. You can just be like, I'm serving a seat for you, right? I, I love this one. I've used it. It says, <clears throat> thank you for your great service. So this is when someone like a waiter or so a petrol attendant just does a great job. It says, thank you for your great service. Now you're invited to a great service. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Here. Says, yeah. C-H-C-H. What's missing? You are. Ah, oh, so smart, so smart. And, and we, why do we resource you with these kind of things? Because there is something scriptural about church evangelism where you have the invite, just come and see, just come and see, just come and see. And we trust and we have seen that as people have come and seen that God moves in their heart, that he touches them, right? That he has an appointment with a divine appointment because this is how God grows his kingdom. It's not just divine it's a divine partnership. You are involved in the work of God. And God wants his house full. When I say he wants his house full, I'm not just talking about this church because this church is not the only church for our city. There are many good churches that God has used. And I know he wants his house full. And you might be saying, no, heaven's too full already. No, no, no. There's lots of space in my father's house. And so we have a passion to reach the lost, our vision here is that we won't stop until every person has a spirit-filled, mature relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you today, again, we won't stop. We won't stop. But it's not just a divine work, it's a divine partnership. You are involved in that work. In fact, there was a study done with 10,000 Christians. 10,000. So this is a pretty accurate study. That's a massive study. And they asked these Christians one question. How did you come to the faith and how did you come to your church? Here's what the stat said. 2% because they had a special need. 3% just happened to walk by and walk in. 6% they liked the minister. Thanks, guys. Only 6%. Gee. 1% they happened to visit and they stayed. 5% liked the Sunday school. One half of 1% said they attended a special gospel meeting or event or conference. 3% said they liked the programs at the church. And then get this, 79%, almost 80% of people said it's because a friend or a relative invited them. Almost 80%, which means this church we can do the most crazy things 
have the best preachers, have incredible worship and dynamic children's ministry, but all of it is only going to add like 10%. You add the rest. It's a divine partnership. And here I want to finish out this thought. God's work is not just divine and it's not just a divine partnership. The third thing is, it's a divine partnership of adding to the church. God's heart is to add to the church. And I'm not just talking about his body. I'm not just talking about the family. God is very specific that not only does he add to the family of God, but he adds to the church of God. Those two things are separate things in scripture. Look again at Acts 2 from verse 47. It says, and the Lord added to the church, to the ecclesia, to the fellowship daily, those who were being saved. This is separate. Those who were being saved, what did God do? He added those who were being saved to a church family. There is no such thing as an unchurched Christian in scripture. Those who were being saved, the Lord added to a fellowship, to a church. Every time, this is God's work. This is not our work. God's work is that once you are saved, you'll be added to a fellowship, an ecclesia, a church. And we are part of that. That's why I always tell people, choosing a church, it's a spiritual decision. This is not something that you just make yourself. It's a spiritual decision. Changing church, it's a spiritual decision. You know that? I say to people all the time, pray about it. And for me, a lot of it is when you walk in the doors, you feel like, hey, this is my place. These are my people. There's a sense of peace that God gives you, a sense of fellowship God gives you. And if you don't have that, you go find it. Because God wants to add to his church. He adds a saved to the church. And it seems like there are so many Christians. In fact, we know 36 million in our country. And so few are being, have allowed God to add them to the church. Why? Because they have got disillusioned by all the imperfection. They, they've got offended by all the hypocrisy. They've, they've got hurt by all the politics. And they've all the while forgotten that Jesus has not given up on the church. So neither can we. Neither can we. Guys, if Jesus hasn't given up on this, who are we to? You know, as I walk through the community and as I do weddings and funerals and meet other people, I often have people come up to me and say, oh, we watched you on YouTube, or you're the guy from Facebook, or you're the guy from TikTok, or hey, we listened to you on a podcast, or, or we heard you on the radio, right? Do you know, by the way, that I have a whole fan group of old Afrikaans tannies? I do. I really do. They're my Krachfron my ladies, right? Now, so often when I go to a funeral or do a wedding, I'll have this old African study come to me. Oh, we listen to you every Monday morning at 10 o'clock. We love it too. It's just like, oh, hi, right? So cute, my little fan base, my old Tunny fan base. Shout out to you, old Tunnies. We love you. But when I'm able to have a conversation with those people, I always try, just push it a little bit in. And I always want to get to that question of like, okay, where are you going to church? Do you have a church? And, and so often that's when you can kind of see the body language change and they kind of look down and they're like, no, we used to. We don't anymore. We got offended or my wife got hurt or we didn't like what the pastor said. And, you know, they've got all these reasons. And I always want to challenge them that God doesn't just add 
to his family, the work of adding to the church is divine. It's Jesus's work. And Jesus has not given up on adding people to the church. Neither can we. There is no record of unchurched Christians in all of scripture. It's so important that we are invested and involved in the local community. And I'll tell you why it's important. Do you know that every time we come, we are getting reorientated. We're getting realigned because this world, I promise you, is preaching at you every day. The people in your office are preaching at you. The things we watch and the radio programs we listen to and the movies we go enjoy, everything's preaching to us. We need a constant realignment to remind us who we are in Christ, to remind us what our values are, how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to be. We need a constant course correction. And I promise you, I've seen it, that those who step out of that and block the ease off to that and don't have that regularly in their life, it impacts their faith. There is a reason God has designed church for us. It's because we need it. It's good for our soul. We need that constant redirection or your faith will be affected. Another reason we need it, it's because <clears throat> this is the only place we fit in. Can I remind you, they think we're weird. But here we can be godly weird together. And it's okay. Here we can boldly raise our hands and lift our voice and say the name of Jesus and open our Bibles and have spiritual conversations. Like it's the only place we fit in. We don't fit into the world. We're not of the world. We fit in here. And if you don't consistently fit in, and if your kids never get to fit in with other Christians, they'll always think it's weird to be a Christian. You'll always feel like it's an odd thing. It's not a natural thing. No, no, no. This is our family. This is our home. This is where we belong and we fit in. So we come and we do it regularly because these are our people. Another reason God has put it in his family, the work of church, is because it's really the only way we can build the kingdom. Yes, can you get engaged and have a spiritual experience on a podcast? Can you worship God with your family at home? Yes, you can do all those things. But what you can never do with your family at home is build God's kingdom. Because the work of God's kingdom, let me tell you this, it's too big for a family. It's too big for you and your own. The work that God has told us to do of reaching the lost and housing the orphans and feeding their hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the prisoners and going to other nations and discipling new Christians and looking after the widows, the work of God is far too big for us to do alone. The only way we will ever get it done is when we unite. The only way we could ever dream of doing it is when we come together as a community. How blessed is it when the brethren dwell together in unity? That's where God commands his blessing. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, The church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of truth. Sure. God's work is a divine partnership of adding to the church, and he wants people added to the church because it's in the church that lives get transformed. And when I look at this early church, what I see is their heart and their passion for God's work. You could almost say that the early church was a group of saved souls wanting more souls saved. They were a group of saved souls wanting more souls saved. And I want to say that is who we are, New Life Church. 
The only reason we get to celebrate 43 years today is because over the years, there have been people who have been willing to bring their human effort to God's divine power and add people to the church that Jesus is building. And without that, without the men and women who have faithfully bought their part and partnered with God's power, without that, we would not be here today. But I want to say with all the conviction in my heart, God is not done with our story and our best days still lie ahead. I tell you that you think 43 years is good. God has something so great in store for this church, not just in our city, but in our country. And what he wants, the invitation is for you to bring your human effort to match it to God's divine power so that we can add people to God's work. God is not going to use anyone else to build his kingdom. He's going to use you. Look at someone and say, he's going to use you. And my prayer is that we would get involved, that we would not be distracted by life and our busyness and our deadlines and our issues and our problems that we would say, God, I understand you want to use me to build what is holy. And guys, when we do that, man, I can't wait to see the impact we continue to have as a church. And so I want to pray for you. Can you close your eyes? God, I want to thank you for your people, for every single one here, Lord. God, for everyone that is saved and that you've added, I know that you want to use them. God, I know that you want to use them to build your kingdom. God, you want to use them so that lives can be changed so that our city can be impacted. Father, I pray that today, as we come before you, that we would be willing to be used for your kingdom. God, that we would be willing for you to use our human effort. God, that we would be willing to speak to those people who don't know you, to share our stories, to extend that invite. In fact, Holy Spirit, I pray right now, would you start dropping names and faces? in the hearts of your people, those people that we live with, those people we work with, those people, God, that we know do not know you. Father, perhaps the only reason they're in our lives is so that we can reach them. God, may we not wait for someone else to do it. You want to use us. In fact, I want to ask you to again pray a bold prayer. I invited you to pray even a few weeks ago. Or perhaps wherever you are, if you're just wanting to recommit your human effort to Jesus, you can just pray a two-witted prayer, simple prayer. Just say, Jesus, use me. Use me. God, I know that as we come, as we come with what you've put in us, as we give our lives to you for your use, you will build your kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Father, we pray, we're so grateful, Lord, for the 43 years. We're so grateful, God, for your divine power, for your vision, for what you've done with this community. And Lord, we're grateful for what lies ahead. We're grateful for what you still want to do as you continue to use men and women to do your work. We're yours, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.